Thank you so much for that. Praise the Lord. Say, aren't you glad for the church God has given us? You know, I think about this kind of often. What an amazing church God has put together here at Grace Baptist Church. And God has started us from nothing. And He's growing us to, well, I think, really something. No, we don't own any land yet. And we don't own any buildings with stained glass in them. No, we don't own any of that yet. But you know, I think that we're blessed with some other things that are worth more than land and worth more than buildings. And I'd rather have the the people and programs of Grace Baptist Church uh, any old day compared to just having a a piece of ground and building. Who wants that? But uh, we've got a living, vibrant church here. And let's make the most of it. You know, we, we look at the young people when they get married and they have their children and the children running around and we tell them, those are your golden years. Those are really precious times, your golden years when your children look up and call you mommy, daddy, and you're the hero and, you know, family times, happy times and uh, family devotions, family outings. Boy, those are golden years, right? We're in our golden years, I think, uh, as a church and we've got so many blessings. We've got uh, a great range of uh, ages in our church, from uh, newborns to um, seniors, and maybe a senior plus, I'm not sure. But um, boy, we've, we've really got a nice mix. It's a nice family church, nice place to be. My wife and I just enjoy <clears throat> being part of Grace Baptist Church. A lot of fun, too. Take your Bible, please, and open up the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Gospel of John, chapter 4. Now, this year, if we're going to serve the Lord, then uh, we need to give some thought to whether there will be any consequences, which there will be, and we need to give some thought to just what those consequences might be. It's important that we uh, go into this year and go through the year with both eyes wide open, our spiritual eyes wide open, and to understand that... um, When we start living for the Lord, we're assaulting the devil's kingdom. And you know, uh, the devil doesn't like getting his kingdom assaulted. He has a a habit of shooting back at us and uh, causing uh, grief. And we need to know how to handle that. And the answer is not to run away scared and hide. That's not the answer. The answer is to do it God's way. Well, for starters, let's say this. It seems that as soon as you decide you're going to live for the Lord, Lord, I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'm going to be what you want me to be. Here is my life, Lord. I'm going to start living for you. As soon as you do that, you trip some kind of spiritual tripwire, and that thing uh, sends shockwaves, literal shockwaves, through the devil's kingdom. It alerts the devil of our direction in life and our intention in life. As soon as you say, Lord, have thine own way. As soon as you do that, you you say, well, what's a tripwire? Well, ask a hunter. Hunters are famous for using tripwires. And the tripwire was some kind of slender little string or wire that was stretched, you know, tightly across two pegs or something. And when it was accidentally snagged or or tripped, then it, it, it uh, pulled, it triggered some kind of detector or some kind of trap of some sort. And the hunters have used it for thousands of years, a tripwire, in order to catch their prey. Well, the devil's tripwire sends these shockwaves through his kingdom and necessitates that the devil send some of his stormtroopers your way to try and discourage you and try and hurt you somehow. So whenever you say, here's my hand, Lord, here am I, Lord, send me, it sends shockwaves through the devil's kingdom, and then he uh, presses a button, and uh, you know one of his secretaries comes into his office, and he says, here, and he writes out an address, send some stormtroopers, and see what you can do to this person. And that's when persecution begins. And that's when we enter into spiritual warfare. Now, there are two things we need to say. Number one, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. It's not like he can do something that is totally unheard of. 
because the Bible tells us it exposes his operation. So we actually can get a good inside look as to how Satan operates. And number two, we are not defenseless. Absolutely not. We are not defenseless. We have weapons of warfare. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I'm encouraging you to live for the Lord. I am. Now, some Christians might say, well, Pastor, why would I want to live for the Lord if I'm going to trip a spiritual tripwire, as you say, and, and cause all these terrible stormtroopers to come down my chimney and make a mess of my nice, peaceful life? Why would I want to live for the Lord and have consequences? And here's the answer. Don't miss it. The answer is... Because this is how we express our love and our gratitude to Jesus who died on the cross for us and saved us from an eternal damnation in hell. We live our lives for Him. That's the answer. Boy, oh boy. If you're here tonight and you're saved and you're not living your life for the Lord, how ungrateful can we get what would you rather? Him not save you? Then you just live life as you please and then go into hell forever and ever and ever? What kind of deal is that? No, the deal is this. You changed fathers when you got saved. Once upon a time, the devil was your father. And when you came and received Jesus Christ and took him into your heart and you were born again, God became your father. Your eternal home is no longer hell. Your eternal home is now heaven. Boy, that's good news. Your name got written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be blotted out. Wow, all these wonderful things happen to you. So what can we do to show our love and our gratitude to Jesus Christ for what he did for us? We live our lives for him. That's what we do. Oh, beloved, in a nutshell, we are in spiritual warfare. No wonder we have so much deadness is because we're not realizing the warfare and we're not preparing ourselves for it. We're not handling it properly and we experience dead, doldrum kind of life. No wonder we have sorrow upon sorrow because we don't understand the armor enough to keep it on and what it is. No wonder we go from failure to failure. It's because we're losing the battle. So I want to begin a series tonight, and every month I want to visit this series on spiritual warfare, the armor of God. And tonight we're going to begin with our basic need of something called truth. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. Now this is a subject that on the one hand is very simple, but on the other it can be complex. Father God, help us. Help our hearts to be an open book for you tonight. Dear Holy Spirit of God, O precious third person of the Trinity, please preach to us tonight. Holy Spirit, get a hold of our hearts. Help us, Lord, in this matter of truth. So easy to live a lie. So easy to live a half-truth. Not so easy to live the truth. But you can do it through us. Enable us, empower us tonight. Open the eyes of our understanding. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Now our first job tonight is to define truth. What is truth? Did you know that for thousands of years philosophers have argued this back and forth? They have more theories of what truth is than the world has theories of how the world began. We've got all our different basic theories of evolution and, you know, side shoots of it and all kinds of ideas and how the world began and where it began. Did it begin, you know, up there? Did it begin down there? And different theories and ideas. There's more theories as to what truth is. The philosophers have been at each other's throats for thousands of years. And each one says that all the others are wrong. Isn't that interesting? So who's true? Which one is true? It's very popular these days in today's culture to challenge and change what truth is. Here's what I mean. One plus one has always equaled what? Two. Right. This is not a rocket science. This one's easy. That's always been an established fact. 
But it's popular in today's culture to challenge and change what was considered to be truth so that one plus one is not necessarily two anymore. You say, well, what is it? Well, it can be anything that you feel it should be. That is how people are redefining truth. Men are not necessarily men if they don't feel they should be. That's how they're changing truth. Now, in John chapter 18, and you didn't turn there, don't turn there, but Pilate, in questioning Jesus, he summarized this whole quagmire of philosophical debate as to what is truth when he said to Jesus, what is truth? <laughs> he wasn't even sure he knew. Merriam-Webster's dictionary has a pretty fair definition of truth. It says this, truth is most often used to mean being in accord with fact or reality. Being in accord, that means you join your heart. Being step in step, keeping right in step with fact and reality. They're saying that's what truth is. And so in other words, if the fact is that one plus one is two, then whatever is true is going to agree with that. Truth will always agree with the facts, the reality of it. So we're going to sort of use that as our basic definition. We've got a standard. Boy, isn't it nice to have a standard to go to. As I've, as I've read some of uh, uh, history in medieval England, the, uh, the men who were tailors and who, the men who dealt with cloth, they would sell it by the yard. And a yard was considered the distance between a man's nose and his tip of his finger with an outstretched arm. Now here's the problem. When you went into the market to buy a, a yard or two yards of cloth, there's the, the merchant, and he stands five foot eleven or six foot, and he measures you out a yard, which is around 36 inches. For those who don't know what a yard is, you can substitute meter, all right? Meter's about 39 inches, yard is 36 inches. So he would come out with one yard, two yards, three yards. At a dollar a yard, that's three dollars. And you go to the next town over, and you go to the cloth merchant there, and you ask for three meters. Only this guy's about four foot seven. One, two, three, that'll be three bucks. You see the problem with this? There's no standard of measure. You have to have a standard by which you can, you can compare it with. Imagine if you, uh, uh, got, you went to buy a little ruler and it was going to be like a foot-long ruler, 12 inches or something like that. I'm sorry, I'm working in that old imperial business, but that's what I grew up with. So I don't know how many centiliters, you know, in, a, in 12 inches. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, sorry, I should, I should know that. I'm not a very good Canadian. I'm sorry, but imagine if you bought, wanted to buy a 12-inch ruler and uh, the guy selling them to you is selling you these 11-inch rulers. You'd say, well, isn't that something wrong here, isn't there? I mean, it says, it says 12, but I'm sure that it should be bigger than that. And you'd be right. Well, the, the world of standards and measures and all that, they have standards. I believe it's over in France that they have the one uh, liter. Is that correct? Well, meter, yeah, but they have a liter. They're weights as well. And they've just, uh, in fact, come out with a new one. I saw this about a year ago in the news. And this thing is made of, I don't know, gold and platinum or some meridian or some kind of metal or something that will outlast, you know, the, the millennial kingdom, this thing. And they keep, they keep it under glass and everything. And they, it acts as a world standard. Anywhere else in the developed world, if they want to know if what they have is one liter of, or, or a kilogram or something like that. I'm sorry, I forget. I should have brought the news article. But whatever that weight of measure is, it has to be measured against that one international standard. That's the benefit of having a standard. The benefit of truth is that you know one plus one is two. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. It doesn't matter which country, some 200 countries, 
what is this, something like 2,000 uh, languages in the world, something like that. It doesn't matter what language, one plus one is supposed to equal two, because that's the truth. One plus one can't really equal whatever you want it to equal, because that, what's that? That's crazy. That's dumb. One plus one has to equal two, just like two plus two has got to equal four. You get the idea. And so, anyhow, um, pretty good, pretty good uh, definition is uh, truth is, is uh, being in accord with fact or reality. Now, 3,000 years ago, King David felt his need for truth, and so he wrote a psalm to God. And in Psalm 25, 5, he said, Lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. Did you know that David knew that the God was the source of truth? We have a standard, folks. We can go to God and find what is true and what is not true. And we can ask God, God, someone told me one plus one is three. Is that true? God says, no. One plus one is two. I designed it. I should know. Thank you, God. We go to the standard. We find out what the truth is, the fact, the reality. For us Christians, we also need to know the truth. Now, John chapter 4, if you could open your Bible there, please. John chapter 4, let's take a look at three or four verses here that help underscore this idea of the truth. John chapter 4, and let's see, we'll start with uh, verse 24. Read it out loud together with me, please. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. According to this, Jesus tells us we cannot worship God without truth. Don't think you can because Jesus says you can't. You cannot worship God without the truth. That means that someone that thinks that God is, is some large elephant holding up the world and he wants to worship his concept of God is not worshiping God because he's not worshiping according to the truth. You and I are the same boat, folks. We cannot worship God if we think that God is sinful like us. We cannot worship God if we think that God has problems like we have problems. We need to worship God according to the truth. And Jesus said that the only way we can worship Him is in truth. Now, let's go to chapter 8. And we'll go to verse 32. John 8, 32. Read that verse out loud together with me, please. And ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus here told us we can't even be free without the truth. And isn't that the truth? If you're not living according to the truth, then what must you be living by? Say it. A lie. Right. You're either, li you're either living according to God's truth, or you're living according to the lie of the world, the flesh, or the devil. It's one of the two. You're either living according to the truth, or you're not. One plus one is either two, or it's not right. It's either the truth or falsehood. A truth or lie. Someone says the truth or consequences. But you and I, the only way we can even be free and live free is according to the truth. Same chapter, verse 46. This is interesting. Jesus said these words. Let's read them out loud. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? Isn't that something? If Jesus came here tonight and he stood behind the pulpit and he preached the sermon, do you think he would preach falsehood? Or do you think he would preach truth? What do you think? Truth. All right. That's right. Jesus always tells the truth. And what he says is if he tells the truth... Why don't we believe him? Right? Doesn't that make sense? Sure, it ought to make sense to you. We can either believe the truth or we can believe a lie. You imagine this. A man thinks he's a donkey. People told him he was a donkey. He looked like a donkey, smelled like a donkey, sounded like a donkey. They hold up pictures of donkeys and say, this is what you look like. And so he thinks he's a donkey. He is believing a lie. He's believing falsehood. He needs to come to a point where he changes his belief, stops believing the lie, and starts believing the truth. I, I think I told you this years ago, didn't I? It's kind of a joke. 
about the, uh, the, the guy in the insane asylum who thought he was dead? I'll tell it to you anyhow. I enjoy hearing my own joke every once in a while. You know, I, I get a good laugh out of it. But this, this fellow was convinced he was a dead man. He'd been in the insane asylum for some years, and other, you know, doctors and psychiatrists and, you know, had come in and psychoanalyzed them, and they tried everything, everything according to the textbooks they read in school, everything according to the latest philosophies that they'd heard. They tried everything to convince him he was alive, not dead. No, he wouldn't believe him. Finally, they had a new doctor in, and he says, well, you think I could try? And they said, you know, be my guest. So they, uh, they brought the, uh, the, the crazy man into a room and sat him at the table, and there's all of these white lab coat doctors, you know, all around him there. And they all sit down with him, and the new one says, so, you think you're dead? Yep, yep, I'm dead, I know it. You don't have to convince me of it, I'm dead. Well, let me ask you a question, he says. Do dead men bleed? And the man said, of course not. Everyone knows that. Dead men do not bleed. They don't have the ability to bleed. It's impossible. It's never happened and never will happen. Dead men do not bleed. And as he said that, the new doctor took out a pin and gave him a poke right in the arm. And the, the crazy man jumped. And then he looked at his arm. And this little trickle of blood started coming out. And the crazy man's eyes got wide, big like saucepans. And the doctors looked at each other and they said, we got him, we got him. And the crazy man said, well, I'll be. Look at that, I don't believe it. Dead men really do bleed. <laughs> I like that joke. I have two jokes. Tell you the other one someday. Jesus said, if I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Wow. Boy, there's a lot of preaching on that. There's a lot of good squeeze in the orange on that one, I tell you. Let's go to chapter 14, John 14. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Very familiar, very famous verse. I'd like you to read it out loud with me, please. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus told us we can't even come to God unless we go through Jesus. Some, some man says, oh, I'm, I'm not, I don't need Jesus. I can go to God. I'm, I'm just as good as the next man. In fact, I'm better than some men because some men are worse than me. And if God's going to accept anyone, he ought to accept someone like me. You never get to God. Never, ever, ever. See, how do you know? Jesus said so. And Jesus always tells the truth. And Jesus said... If I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Jesus said, I, meaning him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. He cannot tell a lie. There is no darkness at all in him, not like us. We can kind of fudge, you know, the, the truth or, or the facts. They say that, uh, what's that saying? Uh, figures, figures don't lie, but liars sure figure. I think that was it. Did I say that right? Something like that. Anyhow, you can look that one up later. But uh, Men take statistics and they turn them around any which way they want. If you don't believe me, you, you ought to watch politics someday. As one side of the house stands up with a newspaper and says, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, according to these facts here, it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that the opposition party has been caught red-handed embezzling money. And then it's their turn. And they get up with the very same newspaper. And they say, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that the opposition party over there is telling lies about us. And they take the same fact and they just spin it. That's what politics does these days. Sorry. Sad, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tells it the way it is. One plus one is two. That's a fact. Jesus tells us the truth. Because Jesus is the truth and he cannot lie. One last one. Look at chapter 17. Chapter 17 and verse 17. Here is where Jesus is praying to God the Father for his disciples. And if you're saved, you're part of this too. Verse 17. Read it together with me out loud. Sanctify them through thy truth. 
Thy word is truth. Jesus is telling us the Bible is true. The Bible is the truth. You want to have a source. You want to be able to go someplace and say, well, what's right and what's wrong? You got one. It's called the Bible. You can go to the Bible, the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. You know, about a hundred years ago, a group of so-called Christians got together and they decided that the Bible, as we know it, is not the only Word of God. And what they did was they redefined truth. There they go again, changing the facts. And what they taught instead is that if something speaks to your heart, then that has become the Word of God for you. Think about it. If, if it speaks to your heart, that spoke to my heart, then whatever it is has become the Word of God to you. And so you're in the kitchen with the apron on and the mixing bowl and the recipe. The cookbook says three eggs. Three eggs! The Holy Trinity! That spoke to my heart. That portion of the cookbook is now the Word of God. That's exactly what that line of reasoning means. Now, I'm telling you, millions of people believed it. That is a line of theology that is not come from heaven. As Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we reject that line of thinking. We call it falsehood. And instead, we believe that the truth is a trustworthy fact that does not change. Amen. We believe that Jesus left us a special book called the Bible. And it don't change, folks. It's the same, like Jesus, yesterday, today, forever. The Word of God. Now, I know there's a, a lot of people out there that'll come up with all kinds of fanciful arguments against that. But that is the truth. That is the bottom line, is God did not leave us defenseless. He left us with an instruction book. Someone said that the word Bible is almost like an acronym, although it's not, but they say B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. That's pretty good. Wish I'd invented that one. I just repeat these great things. Now the Bible is truth. In 2 Corinthians 6-7, the Apostle Paul called the Bible the word of truth. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he wrote, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Listen, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so absolutely... He believed the Bible is the source, the standard, the book of truth. James believed it. James wrote in chapter 118, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. That means you got saved by help of the Bible. No one gets saved without the word of God. That's just the way God has designed salvation. Someone says, well I got saved, I'm born again, but the Bible had nothing to do with it. No, that's falsehood. That is falsehood. The Bible had something to do with it. Maybe, maybe just a little. Maybe it was just a small bit of verse. Maybe you heard some, some scripture from years ago and you know maybe you sort of forgot it, but it went into your heart anyhow. And by the way, don't ever discount the prayers of people praying for you as well. Very important. We got saved with the Bible because the Bible is truth. And so now, number one, we have a definition of truth. Basically, it means being in accord with fact or reality. Number two, we know that Jesus is truth. Number three, we know that Jesus wrote us a book called the Bible, also called the Word of Truth. Now that we have established what truth is, let's learn how that the Bible can protect us from spiritual enemies. And for that, we need to turn to the right to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. I'll meet you there in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. This is a well-trod pathway. So many Christians have walked this pathway and, and gleaned and learned and grown and been blessed. The book of Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul starts laying out the armor of God and the need for it because of the spiritual battle. Listen folks, I really believe this, that we have problems in our hearts, we have problems in our homes. We have problems in our churches because we don't know how to fight the battle. 
we're like, you know, the 98 pounds weakling, you know, and the big bully comes up and ugh, starts to, you know, what we need to do is develop some spiritual muscles. We need to become like uh, some kind of Hulk. And then we can, boo, 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 you know, bop down this, uh, this bully sort of thing. We need to learn the spiritual battle, which is why I'm starting this series. So if you look, please, and follow along starting here at verse uh, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Pause for a minute. That means your power is not good enough. My strength is no match. We're up against spiritual enemies that are far smarter, far stronger, far more experienced than we are. We cannot fight a spiritual battle on our own. Bible says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting something far worse. If our fight was against flesh and blood, then all you do is go get a good lawyer. All you do is go and get, you know, two or three great big guys who work out at the gym. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against unseen powers. Things you can't point to and say there. Things you can't put your hand on and say, right here, officer, this one right here. You can't see him. You can't touch him. You can't taste him. He's beyond your senses. Yet he's there. And he will make your life miserable. And that's his goal, his plan. As soon as you say, I'll live for Jesus, you trip that spiritual tripwire. And the terrible stormtroopers start coming and invading your house and home and your work and, you know, your school and all that, the stormtroopers. And so we move on here. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, here it comes, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, that's all the armor, to stand. Now, verse 14 is what I want you to see. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. The Bible says here that we're to have our loins girt about. That means wrapped about. That's what girt about means. Wrapped around. We're to wrap ourselves with the truth. We know what the truth is. It's the Bible. Now the next question that some people will have is, what are loins? That's a good question. What are loins? Um, physiologically, you have more than one. That's why it's plural here. Loins, the word loins comes from a Latin word lumbus, from which we get lumbar. Any chiropractics here tonight? Hmm? What's your lumbar? Has to do with, yeah, the lower extremities and back and so on, the lumbar region. Loins are that part of the body from one hip to the other and between the ribs and the pelvis, including the low back. All that area, circumference there, those are your loins. And what the Bible says is you are to take the truth and wrap it around your loins for protection. Professional wrestlers all know that the prime source of their strength in wrestling comes from the loins. Weightlifters from bygone days gave a lot of importance to the loins. They called it the keystone of the arch of a man's strength. The weightlifters. Martial artists, those karate guys, they all know that the force of their punch originates in the loins. That's where it begins. In Job chapter 40 and verse 16, God told Job about a giant beast called Behemoth. And God said these words, Lo now, 
His strength is in his loins and his force is in the navel of his belly. Interesting. The loins play an important part in bodily function. You get a lot of your power and strength in your loins. Has anyone here ever suffered from a bad low back? Can you see your hand? Ooh, I'm not alone. And you know that if you've got a bad low back, there are certain things you just cannot do. When my children were very young, they would uh, come running up to me and they'd put their arms up and I'd bend down a little to hug them and they'd put their arms around my neck and I'd hug them and then they did the death maneuver. They lifted their little feet up off the floor. All of a sudden, I couldn't hold that weight. We'd come crashing down. All it took was a little kid. If you have a bad low back, you'll know that sometimes even just lifting your legs to get in and out of a car is a challenge. Sometimes you have to physically grab and lift your leg if you have a bad low back. This is all part of the loins. The loins of the body carry a lot of the, uh, the bulk of the weight or the strength of your body. King David, he wrote of the wicked man in Psalm 69, 23, and he said, Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, listen, and make their loins continually to shake. In other words, he was asking God to make the area of their strength to shake. I found it interesting that Solomon wrote of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31.17. He wrote these words, She girdeth her loins with strength. Isn't that interesting? The loins represent the area of human strength. And here's the thing. They're not strong enough. My loins may be strong enough to sort of walk this way and I can sit down in a chair and I can use my arms a bit and I can get up out of the chair and I can walk along. But let one little kid want to hug me around the neck. I bend down, hug them, they hug me and they lift their legs up off the ground. That's the death maneuver for me because my loins cannot support the weight. Boom! Down we go. My loins are not strong enough. Your loins are not strong enough to fight Satan. Someone may be here tonight and you may be in the prime of your life. Prime physical fitness. And, I mean, for you, in the morning, your eyes pop open. You've got so much energy. You know, you just boom out of bed. There's no stopping you. You've got energy like crazy all day long. Oh, tell me the secret of that. Wow. I wish I could tap into that, bottle that. I'd be a rich man. But you may be here tonight, and you have great physical prowess and strength. You're still no match for Satan. You can't do it. You've got strength. You've got a certain amount of strength. But even if you had the strength of Samson, you're still too weak against the enemy. That's why you need your loins strengthened with the Word of God. This is one main reason why we Christians falter and fail day after day is because we're not girding ourselves with the Word of God. I know I sound like a, you know, they, they, they used to call it a broken record. You put the record, you know, on the, the platinum there and it goes around and around. You move the arm over, you know, plays the song or whatever, the old records, right? But sometimes you would have a little defect or it would get a little bump or something and the needle would get stuck in the groove. And so I know I sound like that sometimes. Are you reading your Bible? Bible, 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 Bible. Would someone please fix the pastor? Bible, Bible. And furthermore, I know I sound like that to some people, but are you reading your Bible? Boy, that's one main reason why we're not winning the battle. That's one main reason why we got sorrow upon sorrow and we go sometimes from disaster to disaster, or as they used to say, from the fire... Fi frying pan into the fire. Because <laughs> we're not reading our Bible. We take our Bible and we let it sit there. Day after day after day. And then Sunday comes. Time to go to church. Honey, have you seen my Bible? Oh, it's right where you left it on the coffee table. Oh, yeah, thank you. 
We pick it up, dust it off a little bit. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go to church. Everyone open their Bibles. Then we get home, we close it up. And it stays that way. The Bible was never meant to sit. The Bible, you've probably heard me say this. My, my color of my Bible is red. Every Bible needs to be red. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. R-E-A-D, red. Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll what? Grow. 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 You got it. That's it. Then why don't we do it? If Jesus told us the truth, why don't we believe him? We're suffering for it. No wonder we're losing the battle. I wonder who's going to lose the battle tomorrow. Tomorrow's supposed to be family day. How many got the day off tomorrow? Anybody? Well, I got all those hands. What are you going to do with the day tomorrow? You can do something, are you? I wonder who's going to get into a family fight tomorrow because they failed to wrap themselves with the Bible. Family day. Good day to have a fight. A family fight on family day. Good one. Who's going to have a family fight tomorrow because they failed to wrap themselves with the Bible? Who's going to go and make a big blunder? Who's going to make, go and make a purchase that they should never have done because they failed to wrap themselves with the Word of God? Do you realize how important this book is to God Almighty? When you wrap yourself with this book, you are honoring God Almighty. And when you wrap yourself with this book, He will honor you. That's the bottom line of it, folks. That's it right there. Our loins are to be girt about, wrapped around with the truth. And why? Why? Well, here's why. Because it's powerful. That's why. You know, a lot of people, they spend more time reading comic books than the Bible. More, so many people will spend so much more time playing video games, watching movies, or even on the golf course than in the Bible. The Bible was never, ever meant to sit on your coffee table until Sunday morning, then you grab it and bring it along to church so you can follow along the sermon, take it home, put it back on the coffee table. Well, that keeps my coffee table holy. Yeah, yeah, we believe that one, right. That's a good one. Why does God want us to wrap ourselves daily in the Word of God? Because it's powerful. Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. The Roman centurion understood the power of the Word of God because in Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, he said to Jesus, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my, my roof here, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Jesus, you don't have to trouble yourself. You don't have to come in, into my home because I am not worthy. But Jesus, speak the word only. That's all you have to do. Because that Roman centurion understood authority. And he understood power. And he explained to Jesus, For I also am a man under authority. And I, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to this man, Do, and he doeth. Lord, all you got to do is speak the word. And my servant will be healed. And he understood that. And that was one of the, there's only two people that Jesus really commended their faith. And this guy wasn't even Jewish. He was a Gentile. But I believe he was a lover of God. That's what makes the difference, folks. Are you a lover of God tonight? I hope you are. Do you believe that there's power in the Word of God? I hope you do. Because there is. If you don't believe that, then you've convinced yourself of falsehood. Yeah, the Bible's just some stuffy old book that was good for, you know, generations ago. But we're modern people. We don't need that old thing anymore. And you bought into that? Well, if you're not reading your Bible every day, you've bought into that. Right? I'll tell you something. I'm scared to face a day without that book. Ah, oh, come on, Pastor. You're being a ninny. You're being a baby about it. Call me whatever you want. I'm afraid to face a day in this world without this blessed old book. You can call it whatever you like. But that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. I'm to wrap myself with the Word of God. I would never preach something that I didn't believe myself. If I could somehow come into your shoes and live your life for you, I'd tell you what I'd do tomorrow morning. I'd get out of bed and wrap myself with the Word of God before I went off anywhere. 
I don't even think the golf courses are open, are they? Too much, can't find a ball in the snow, I guess. That won't stop some guys, though. They'll still, they'll still be out there. The Bible has the power to defeat Satan and his troops. Isn't that good? That's how Jesus defeated Satan. On the Mount of Temptation, he said, it is written. And he quoted the Bible. And he defeated Satan once, twice, thrice. And you and I can do the same thing, folks. Absolutely. Your spiritual loins are your strength. They need daily care and maintenance with the Word of God. The loincloth of truth is meant to gird you with God's powerful Word and give you strength and endurance to pray for extended periods of time. That's another reason why you can't pray more than two minutes. And you say... After two minutes, I don't know what else to pray for. I just run dry. You know, the well is dry. I don't know what to say. I, I lasted a whole two minutes. Maybe I can go three minutes tomorrow. I don't know. Well, one of the main reasons is you're not reading the book. You're not getting in there and, and reading it along with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach me the will of God. Show me. Reveal Jesus to me in these pages. Listen, with all, all seriousness, if you're having trouble praying more than two or three minutes, get into Psalms and Proverbs. And you need to dive in there and swim in Psalms and, and deep dive into Proverbs and just pray, God, reveal yourself to me in this book. And he will. And when you get on your knees to pray, all of a sudden, you'll be amazed. All of a sudden, you're going to have new strength and new energy. Wow. You know, our, our dear brother Dan Dole, you all know he went in for some heart surgery at a pacemaker. Now, if you know anything about Dan Dole, that guy is Mr. Energy, if you ask me. Uh, he's 80-something, and the guy mows his own lawn. He's got a, two or three acres of grass he cuts. He, he does amazing things. And so he ends up in a hospital because he was having a little bit of a flutter or something or low blood pressure or what it was. And so the doctors examined him and said, well, you need a pacemaker. And then they said to him, you get one of these, you'll be amazed how much energy you have. I thought this guy already has got more energy than me. And so he went ahead and he got this pacemaker. And I asked him after, you know, a week or two, I said, well, is it true? He said, wow. He said, oh, he's got more energy than, he, than he's ever had. He's an amazing man. And he loves the Lord. And we're so glad and thank God for him. But you start to really get into the Word of God and you will be amazed how you pray after that. You will pray. You will outpray. I'll bet you can even pray four minutes. Oh. <gasps> Wow, that's twice as long as I normally do. Yes, that and more things like that. You'll be amazed at your endurance to pray for extended periods of time and to call into a situation the mighty power of God. Without daily wrapping yourself with the Bible, your prayers are small, your prayers are weak, your efforts are small and puny, and you will lose. Whatever it is you're trying to do for the glory of God, you will lose, 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 unless you strengthen, strengthen, strengthen yourself daily with the Word of God. Listen, in the last two decades, Hollywood has made the world of comic books into super-duper movies. You all know that. One such character is called Iron Man. How many have heard of Iron Man? Don't be shy. I'm shy, but I got my hand up here too. Iron Man. I'm, it's a movie, a a guy named Tony Stark puts on this special robotic suit and it enables him terrific strength among other crazy abilities so that he can fight against evil and the bad guys. Folks, this is fiction. Okay? It is fiction. But a U.S. company called Raytheon is right now developing for the U.S. military a mechanical ectoskeleton in which a man climbs into and it enables him to perform superhuman feats of strength. They're currently perfecting it right now. Well, Christians have had that for 2,000 years. God has provided something for us, an ectoskeleton, if you will, called the whole armor of God. And you in your own strength, as wonderful it is, you are no match for Satan. You will fail at everything you try and put your hand to until you climb into the whole armor of God like an ectoskeleton. 
And you will be able to withstand against Satan. You will be able to overcome the evil one. The first piece you need to put on is the loincloth. You need to wrap yourself daily with the Word of God. If you read three or four chapters a day, you'll read your whole Bible through in one year and we'll give you a nice shiny certificate for it. But I can promise you something better than a certificate. I can promise you the almighty power of God to overcome some of those bad habits you've been trying to overcome but you can't overcome. I can promise you the almighty power of God that will enable you to pray like you have never prayed before in your life. Folks, tonight, how about coming to God in prayer? How about asking God to help you to put on the loincloth of truth and to wrap yourself with the Bible, the Word of God? If you don't know where to begin reading, go to Psalms and Proverbs. You could actually spend the rest of your life in those two books alone, but there's still 64 more wonderful books you need to explore. But start there. Start somewhere. And baptize yourself into the Word of God. Satan can see if you're wrapped with the Word of God. And he hates the Word of God because the Word of God is stronger than he is. And when you put on that Iron Man suit, that spiritual armor, you see, it's not your strength. Now it's God's strength. And that's what makes the difference. Let's stand to our feet. And I challenge you tonight. Come and talk to God in the invitation. Come on the invitation and if you can possibly get on your knees, do so. And ask God to help you to wrap yourself with the Word of God. Heavenly Father,